Yes, I appreciate that. There will it be a lot of cross. Probably be a lot of that. <laughs> this yeah. is a chatty, <laughs> chatty podcast. I'll try to be. I'll try to be good though. Yeah. Uh, no, um, you. I would actually prefer that you don't try to be good, and the two of us will try to be good. Yeah, yeah. you try to be. I mean, bad. You know, Let's three see. ways are hard. <laughs> is that? Is we don't that have to better? have an equilateral triangle. And actually, I would prefer that you were the special guest. Oh, special guest. Star. All right. <laughs> we yeah. just wanted a special hypotenuse for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Hold out. That is biphobic. If all dogs are boys and all cats are girls, then what does a cowgirl punch? It's Think Outside the Box Set, the internet's only outrage machine. I'm Nat Hunt, and that's Cameron DeWitt. And joining us, special guest. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I realized that was not I? clear about who I was handing that off to. <laughs> Hi, my name is Melody Walker. How's it going? (laughs) Hi. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead, Cam. I met Melody uh, when we were both on uh, Bluegrass uh, Porch Pride, Bluegrass Pride's Porch Pride, their um, uh, streaming concert at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, that's when I became a fan. And we hung out a little bit in our uh, uh, Google, like Google chat after party. And uh, cool. yeah, I've been a fan ever since. And then when I eventually folded and got uh, a TikTok, uh, I, <laughs> you started coming up in my FYP. And it's been so lovely to follow you on TikTok because you're um, so smart and so charming and hilarious and w- the main kind of like thing that you do these days or the the thing that you like to talk about uh, on TikTok is the music industry and songwriting and creativity and um, kind of uh, hot takes emanating around all of those topics. And uh, particularly, I like the way that you... Um, <laughs> I like the way that you are kind of anti-coaching the anti the coaching industry like industry like this you're kind of anti-middleman uh and i i just think that you're you have so much to say and i was like who better to talk about um who better to talk about country music and pop music and the industry uh than you so thanks for being on this is so lovely thank you thanks for having me i'm so honored you can, you are also uh, the, oh sorry you move that uh, I, I was gonna say fr- yeah. front country was the the band that you were um playing with on uh, porch pride yeah. yes yeah front country is my band of the last 10 years and the pandemic kind of yeah. took us out behind the shed and you know <laughs> put us out of our misery just like old yeller um, but it's it's fine there's a lot i think a lot of people had a lot of shifts and reevaluations from this whole shakeup that you know some of which have probably been good and i think for me it was really good yeah i i was listening to some of your music today on the spotify (laughs) and um i started with like the most popular which is i don't usually do that kind of thing i just like clicked it on or whatever um and that led me to it looks like your first 
maybe at least on Spotify, like the first album is like an album. It's called mixtape. It's like an album of covers. And that's super cool and very fun. Um, there's a lot of like, um, you know, songs I'd recognized before and like, um, how do, how do I put this? Like a more like mainstream or like standard type songs. But then y'all covered Business by Tune Yards, which I fucking love. It's such a great cover and it's such a cool song to choose to put on that mixtape. I love it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I feel like I feel like Tune Yards is pretty mainstream. It's not too. Oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> um, they're pretty huge at this point. Oh. I mean, they're like indie big, you know? Yeah, I guess um, that they did get used in like a lot of soundtracks or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah, our our band is from um, like the Oakland, you know, the Bay Area, East Bay, mm-hmm. and so have been a fan of Tune Yards for forever. Um, and yeah, I I love that song. I've been obsessed with it since it came out. I I have a background of like doing a lot of like um, both like world music stuff, like specifically like African diaspora music, uh-huh. and um, and also I had an acapella group that did like kind of world fusion acapella. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that band is like obviously after my heart, <laughs> and so I had to just try, try to sing what Meryl does. She's like a total queen. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, fantastic I, uh, original music on Spotify. There's several albums, um, and I'm sure you probably also places that don't treat you like shit, like Spotify does. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll have some I, it's links. Fine. In the, yeah, we'll it's put fine. some Spotify links in the show like notes. The, the, Spotify is the biggest um, kind of place that industry looks for your numbers and stuff. So I'm, I'm not mm. going to tell people not to stream us on Spotify because okay. honestly, it's like it, it does help us. Like if you want to help a band, a PSA, <laughs> if you want to help a band that you love though on Spotify, like, you know, you want to click that like favorite heart next to it. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you listen to the whole track through because skipping is like the kiss of death that counts as like negative points in the algo. Oh, it's just like TikTok. Okay. And, um, Especially if you, you've been served something randomly and then you skip, it's like kiss of death, vote, negative vote, right? Okay. Um, and then also, so if you hate something, you know, go ahead and skip it. <laughs> like, just be petty. Um, and and then if you download it to your device, that's like the ultimate vote of confidence. Because mm. you're giving up your space mm-hmm. to that song. You love it so much. That makes a lot of sense. Good to know. I didn't yeah. know any of that shit. <laughs> it's really helpful. Oh, and following yeah. the artist at the top. Yeah. It mm-hmm. says like follow. Yeah. Cool. So like, there's so many different things you could do, and it like really does yeah. help. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's that so industry when knowledge. When I asked you, when I asked you, Melody, to uh, if if you'd be willing to talk about Dixie Chicks with us, you said that you were most interested in coming on to um, talk about the not ready to make nice era, and so we're talking about the album uh, T- "Taking the Long Way," and. Uh, I was I was hoping that you could talk about your relationship with the chicks and your relationship with country music in general and the industry and just tell us what you think about this group and how, what you feel about this group and uh, yeah catch us up sure yeah sure so um, I did not really grow up listening to country music like it was the 90s it was the 90s sorry anybody who listens to tiktok it's like do, if you're yeah. not on tiktok you don't <laughs> yeah. understand what that means anyway <laughs> um, in the 90s country had like a ton of crossover happening right like garth brooks was huge shania twain was huge dixie chicks were huge is it should we be calling them the chicks mostly though is that like is that like dead naming technically for I a corporation? Oh <laughs> but <laughs> that's a great question uh, 
uh, obviously I, not the same thing. <laughs> I think it is okay to say the Dixie Chicks were huge because yeah. they were that and they were huge. Yeah, but we can. And they're a corporation, know. and we don't care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd ask and put it out there. Um, so, yeah, I definitely like heard a lot of that stuff. You know, kind of through the ether through the culture um but i you know grew up mostly around like pop music and grunge and rock and all that stuff and i didn't think country music was cool right i grew up in the san francisco bay area too right i didn't grow up like kind of a horse girl my mom's a horse girl you know and like and my dad plays bluegrass so i did i did grow up around some country you know when i would go to the ranch with my mom everybody was always playing country you know and um but it was like never it was never like a big thing in the house. We were like stones and Beatles and classic yeah. rock and stuff. Beach boys. Um, so it wasn't until later in life that I really got like an appreciation for country music more. And, um, and I somehow ended up, let's see, I said that I was in kind of like world music-y type bands, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. however yeah. problematic that term may be <laughs> um, in a college, right? Term. This is like, yeah. this is like 15 years ago. We didn't know what we didn't know. We should have known though. <laughs> but <laughs> I went to school in Arcata, California, super white, tons of world music though, and had like conferences for like Afro-Cuban, like West African percussion. Um, and so there was a, there was a really cool scene there actually. Um, and I was in, bunch of bands that did that kind of thing i was kind of studying general music but i sort of made my own sort of ethno track happening i was just into that right i i like wrote a grant to send myself to india to learn carnotic music at one point Very um, cool. and i got to go to brazil and study um like bateria drumming in bahia uh, with elia it was very freaking cool amazing um, and so anyway all of all of that though through the process of, of being in like ensembles or performing this kind of thing, I sort of started, started to understand how I was not respecting my own cultural context as a musician and that there was so much like richness and roots in American traditional music that I really had more kind of ownership of i mean do i though because i'm not from appalachia <laughs> you know what i mean it's complicated, mm-hmm. it's really complicated. Um, but i was but i was you know thinking that um that i owed it to myself to try to dig more into that um into the authenticity in in american roots music and see what i could find um and so i started playing more kind of folk and bluegrass and americana music and I ended up moving back to the Bay Area and I met my partner, Jacob, and we ended up, um, he was kind of my singer-songwriter sidey for a while when I was Mm. doing my songs. Um, And then we were both invited to be in sort of a pickup bluegrass band for a residency in San Francisco at a place called the Atlas Cafe. And we did that for about a year and then we moved on to this place called Amnesia that had free bluegrass Mondays. And our band front country started becoming a thing. We're like, wow, this is kind of a thing. And then we went and we did the Rocky Grass and Telluride band competitions. And this is kind of where my intersection with the Dixie Chicks starts because the Dixie Chicks before Natalie Maines, when they were like kind of a kid bluegrass band, Harmony, Western Swing, Mm -hmm. bluegrass band, they won the Telluride bluegrass competition um, yeah. way back in the day mm-hmm. probably like 15 yeah. years before we did mm-hmm. um, and so I thought that was really interesting 
and um, and then people always compared my voice to Natalie Maines. I think mm. because I'm like I'm a like pop type singer, like a bluesy sure. pop singer in a country ish bluegrass band. So that kind of makes sense. But there, I think there is some similarity there. At least I hope so because she's amazing. Um, and I also love to write like pop songs and play them in that kind of band. And that's totally the type of writer that she is too. And what else? Oh yeah, I, I, I just like to be obnoxious and make political statements on stage, no matter yeah. what genre I'm playing yeah. in. <laughs> so I, yeah. I have a, a place in my heart for Natalie Maines and, and the chicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I really relate to them and their integrity and especially around this album and the story of, of this whole thing. Yes, this, this story is so interesting. Um, their response to it is pretty interesting to me. Um, it took them, what, three years? Four years to release this album? Yeah, four years since the last one. 2002, I think, was the... Yeah. Was home. Yeah, so 02 yeah. to 06. Um, and uh, one of the things that is interesting about this to me, um, this dynamic, is that they're like ostracized from the, the country scene in a pretty profound way. And they respond by like going more crossover. Like it, it, they start going into like the Sheryl Crow, Counting Crows, lots of crow related musicians, uh, <laughs> like uh, what's the Wallflowers, like that whole sort of like country ish, pop ish, Americana, rock ish type like milieu. Maybe and a little Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah, a little. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so yeah, this is like probably the least country album we've heard from them. Um, yeah. by far. <laughs> yeah. There's even a song that's basically like, uh, fuck the South, <laughs> like, which was like a little alarming to like my sensibilities of like wanting to like, uh, uh, up, uphold all of the people who are doing such important work in the South uh, including all of the like leftist white people who are in the South, much less all of the non-white people who are there. Uh, so that was like a little bit like alarming to hear on this album. But I also kind of like understood because it feels like they were just totally gutted by this, by their base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think the conversation was where it is right now. You know, I think right. there has always been a lot of erasure there of like Southern leftists, Appalachian leftists. And, and that's, in the last like five years has really like come into the fore way more i think mm-hmm. yeah totally well uh is there any more background that we should say about about this album uh or should we like jump into talking about songs um, um i sorry. mean that's the background right um do we do we know when the documentary came out that is sort of attached to it oh shut up and quest. sing was that did it come out before it or i want to say it was before after? it um, I should have been uh, I'm seeing 2007, and I think oh. this album came out in 2006. No, okay, that sh- makes sense. Shut up and sing 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, kind of concurrent. I haven't yeah. seen this. I haven't seen this documentary. Um, I did not rewatch it. I thought that I was going to for you know to do my homework, and I didn't do it. But <laughs> it I, I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember sure. it pretty well. It's got like, yeah, um, it's just about the whole story of what happened, and like I see. A lot of this album, even in the songwriting, is myth building, legend telling, right? Of the chicks and their journey. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it's kind of on the nose, but it, it's very much like branding, you know? Yeah. They're they're telling their story to people who maybe didn't know it and it's it's throughout. It's woven into the songs, right? And into mm-hmm. the energy of it and into the choices of 
the producer that they used and the the style of the music and where it's being marketed. Mm-hmm. Totally, and that's that's a dynamic that we have noticed with like so many artists, and it's something that we tend to talk about a lot. Is like like how do they tell their own story or like what kind of self mythologizing do they engage in? How do they construct their own identity or pay other songwriters to construct it for them? Uh, there was a lot of interesting content, I think um, about that issue with Britney Spears in particular, um, like, you know, starting off having so many people like write songs from her that like seem to be so introspective. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And then having her sing Sorry. songs about how hard it is to be famous. Yeah. But like to have that be con- like constructed around her for her to sing while she's being like manipulated yeah. and abused. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Early morning. <laughs> she wakes up. I love that song. <laughs> I got to sing that at a, at a Britney tribute here in town. It's oh awesome. Uh, earlier this year. It was really fun. I love it. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, one one little extra bit of trivia I wanted to say is this album was re- produced by Rick Rubin, who's like mm-hmm. a pretty big rock producer. He's worked with <laughs> Wikipedia mentions in the two that they mention are Red Hot Chili Peppers and System of a Down, as well as Johnny Cash and Neil Diamond. Um, and he's, he's Tom showed Petty. Up a, he showed up a fair Tom amount Petty. of times on, on this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. Didn't he do an ICP album? Oh, shit. I don't think so. I think. Oh my God! Would he have? I think it was mostly did Mike E. Clark. Song? How did we get on on the topic of ICP? Um, well, that was our second season. <laughs> yeah. as we covered ICP. So, so it was a the trip. album that I hear. That's amazing. I'm going to go listen to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The album that I hear a lot of um, in like the tones and stuff on this is Tom Petty Wildflowers, which Rick Rubin also produced, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, something that Rick Rubin seems to be able to do really, really well. I'm not talking about the Beastie Boys stuff here. <laughs> like, that's how he got his start. But, like, <laughs> I don't I don't really have a use for that um, anymore. Um, he is really good at kind of encapsulating and, like, um, sealing people's legacy mm. through an album, if that mm. makes sense. So, like, mm-hmm. Wildflowers is, like, Tom Petty, like, really breaking away from the Heartbreakers and making his oh. own mark and his own stamp. And that Johnny Cash record is like a legacy ceiling mm, with nice. all the choice covers and arrangements. It's just so freaking cool. It's just like so hip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he really did that with this album too. It's just like sealed their legacy. It's like, bitch, we're going to be better than you've ever seen and bigger than you've ever seen. And we're going to tell our own story for once, you know, it's like, that's what he yeah, does for people. That's great. There's a quote here in on genius lyrics from Rick Rubin. Uh, that's like verified on the site. And he says, taking the long way was really fun. I like albums where there's something controversial going on. They basically were the biggest female group in history, most successful female group in history. And then Natalie Maines made a comment about George Bush, etc. And almost every country station in America stopped playing them. Uh, they went basically he's telling the story and how like he's like, this is my moment to like jump in and uh, do my thing, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um I I kind of think it kind of reminds me of um, when artists get canceled and then they like kind of um, double down into their into their bullshit. And this is a story about right wing cancellation, obviously. But I feel like the same kind of mechanisms are are going on here where they're like, well, now we need to 
have complete access to this kind of like new audience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like, I feel like it's positive, but is that just my bias though? Like, I mean, it I, seems like I, a, a better version of it, but totally. <laughs> yeah, I agree I, with the side. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I just think it's interesting to watch machinations happening that are for a perspective that I ultimately agree with. Yeah. But it's interesting to see the machine still like work. Yeah. Something that I feel like I have to keep reminding myself is it's not hypocritical to like, to, to dislike the same thing or like it, uh, based on whether you think it is in service of like something good. Uh, it's, it's like, it, it reminds me of, uh, like all the people who are like criticizing the Sri Lankan, um, storming of their capital and they're mm. like well you didn't like it when we did this <laughs> and it's like well yeah <laughs> like they they did a great job they and also no one reasons. died yeah <laughs> and <clears throat> they actually needed to overthrow that 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 president totally uh, you know yeah um on that topic actually mcguire has this interesting quote that shows up on wikipedia Uh, She said, I'd rather have a smaller following of really cool people who get it, who will grow with us as we grow and are fans for life, than people that have us in their five-disc changer with Reba McIntyre and Toby Keith. We don't want those kinds of fans. They limit what you can do. Um, Wait, does Reba McIntyre suck? No, but it's just the the, the country establishment, you know? Like, it makes sense. And they were fitting themselves into that box, you know? And they weren't really probably being in integrity and alignment with who they really were yeah. right you know like that's really frustrating and so it's got to be so liberating to finally make a record and just like kind of like put aside the idea of getting approval from those kinds of people yeah. who will never never mm-hmm. approve of you it's almost like people who have to like let their parents go or something you know and they're right like, hey i'm just gonna be me <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna keep looking for your approval and like compromising my integrity to do it also, apparently, we'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, uh, apparently Reba McIntyre actually started a beef with the chicks um, uh, at the Academy. She of- knows where her bread's buttered. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> the Academy of Nation Music Awards in 2006, uh, she said, if the Dixie Chicks can sing with their foot in their mouth, I'm certain I can host this sucker. Well... That's pretty gentle. I don't know. This seems a little sensationalized. Uh, it's yeah. shady. It's shady. Yeah. I mean, they came for... Did they come for her in that statement after she made that statement? Who started this beat? I don't know. But Reba also said, I really feel for the ladies. I, I genuinely imagine that. This is not a great source. I'm going <laughs> to see if I can find a better source for the learning links. All right. Maybe it's a typo. I'm trying to figure out what word that would be. Maybe it's cut off. Um, I have no idea uh, <laughs> if Reba's a good person. <laughs> I yeah. shan't speculate. I mean, um, she's but I very do know rich, that if, so probably not. If you're not trying to get out of country <laughs> at that time, I would imagine that it's just easy, low-hanging fruit to, like, kick them when they're down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm. I think I might have found the, the, ac- the actual quote that... Um, could be categorized as beef worthy. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. Dish. I've never turned my back on country music. So when somebody talks bad about my music, my family, that does not sit well with me. And when you bite the hand that feeds you, I just don't think that's very nice. I think this was in response it, to uh, McGuire's quote where she just said, we don't want to be in the same disc right. with Reed McIntyre and Tibbo Keith. Um, uh, now this begs the question. Yes. Were the chicks ever Opry members? Yeah. Oh. Um, 
Is right? That like because a the Opry organization the Opry is actually kind. Of, oh yes, it it's a cult. I'm just gonna go ahead and put that out there. <gasps> Ooh, it, dish. It, it's a high pressure organization that demands fealty from its members, and you have to have a certain amount of commitments, and they can kick you out for any reason, and kick you off the Opry. Tons of stories about this kind of thing. I mean, it also is wow. like has a really seedy past, but these days it operates more as this like, you know, very squeaky clean, <laughs> wholesome thing. And and, uh. and if you want to get ahead in country music and be like a fixture, you have to like do time being an Opry member. And being an Opry member means that you have to be available to perform like multiple times a year. I think like, I think you have huh. to be like willing to do like 10 or 12 performances a year on the Opry oh, and like wow. be available. And no matter what your touring schedule is and everything, you have to be like committed to that. And you're giving them, you know, that you're going to be on the bill. They do the Opry like every freaking night. It's crazy. I don't understand wow. how they do these shows. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't live up to those expectations, um, they can just kick you off and they will. And people, so people actually don't stay on there forever, if that makes sense. Yeah. I pulled up the uh, Wikipedia page. It looks like they played there, but I don't know if they're... Right. It doesn't look like they're menu. The me menus, <laughs> they are not <laughs> menus. <laughs> they're not on the menu. <laughs> I, I pulled up the, the Wikipedia page, list of Grand Ole Opry members. A search for uh, chicks did not pull anything up. But um, just right near the top of the page, there is a photo of founding member D. Ford Bailey was the Opry's only black member until his 1941 departure. No others would be inducted until 1993. So until that's great. <laughs> Wow. Oh wait, who was inducted? Was it Charlie Pride finally inducted in '93? Oh, it probably was. Uh, it yes, was probably you're Charlie Pride. Yeah. yeah, and then and then Darius Rucker was the next one, I think, like oh. a couple of years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. Hootie, hey Hootie. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a crossover. <laughs> um, love that. Also love. Have you guys ever talked about Wagon Wheel on your show? Uh, no, I don't think it's actually come up. <laughs> What, wait, what's <laughs> that's, somehow that is one that's worth an episode, honestly. Yeah, is that the one? Is like, hey, mama, rock me. Wait, is that the? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and it came from like a a Dylan bootleg, you know, little tape. He just had the little chorus, and then Catch from Old Crow, like made it into a song, and I guess got his permission. I don't think they collaborated ahead of time, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. Oh. I've never actually asked Catch about that, and maybe they did, but I think it was after the fact. Okay. And then it was like, this is a co-write with Bob Dylan. <laughs> and you're like, that sounds fancy. I'm in. And then <laughs> yeah. also it's super catchy. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Also, Oh Brother just happened. And we are primed for this sound. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, Lord knows I made a whole career off of it <laughs> so far. So that's great. <laughs> Cannot knock it. Cameron, and Cameron's been a dabbler in traditional music for several years now. <laughs> Yeah, I've dabbled. Uh, they they were just recently uh, asked an interview question that referred to them as I, that I think explicitly said you've dabbled in traditional music, uh, yeah. which is pretty it was pretty pretty cool. great. Thanks, country queer. <laughs> uh, um, anyhow. Uh, let, let's talk about songs. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't think we're going to talk about all fourteen tracks because we've already no. been going for a while. But yeah. like, let's let's hit some bullet points on this album. Yeah. Let's start. Let's just start with the long way around. Ooh, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Not using that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's it's another appearance by longtime friend of the show, Casual Romani Racism. <laughs> uh, people love to use that old G word to just talk about how yeah. bohemian and free they are. And uh, it shows up a lot. Yeah. Once again, we're just really thankful for the last five years of public <laughs> yeah. discourse and, you know, our outrage brought to you by that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but now that we know we do better, right? We know better, we do yeah. better. I hope the chicks are singing, lived like a traveling person. I don't know, what would they say? Like, maybe not live like a Roma, maybe not the best. Live, live like a nomad, is that bad? I mean, I've actually, I think I've heard mm. of people not appreciating nomad being used actually right. you might be right oh no yeah because <laughs> uh, you're like okay you're indigenous okay. <laughs> it's like no you're not um <laughs> live like a rambler how about that's that's yeah, rambler. It. you got it it's right yeah. there yeah yeah there we go this is this is what i do every day i try to write songs and make them not problematic <laughs> so <laughs> Um, this one is such a great example, though, um, taking the, or the long way around. That's it's hard. The title is part of this, but the song has a different title. Anyway, um, the long way around, uh, it really is legend building, right? It's just literally telling the story of like them or maybe Natalie, whatever it is. But it's mm-hmm. like, this is this is my story. Totally. Yeah, it's very like um, it's almost like this mythologized probably at least somewhat fictionalized i doubt this is all completely 100 percent autobiographical but it's like um yeah it's it's very much like constructing this like um free-spirited figure um because we've got uh i met the queen of whatever drank with the irish and smoked with the hippies moved with the shakers wouldn't kiss all the asses that they told me to um yeah it's this like defiant like i am who i am and i'm not gonna you know apologize for it and they pretty much they like directly reference the incident which is apparently what they call it sometimes uh yeah it's very on the nose really like this this song is very matter-of-factly establishing the brand and in this um very mythologized very vague generalized way right like the first verse is very open i think to a lot of people to find their way into the song Mm-hmm. My friends from high school marry their high school boyfriends. Okay, this song's not for your basic townies. Right, right? Yeah. This is for everyone else who's like free spirit, like the cool girls, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, if you resonate with that, you're going to love this song. Right. I mean, a pink RV with the stars on the ceiling is pretty fucking badass. <laughs> that seems like probably accurate to something they toured in, right? And like oh. six strong hands on the steering wheel, this, the band, you know, band on yeah. the run. Let's see, Dixie like, Chicks, Pink Yeah, RV. it's just, it's a legend. And I love that it's the first track. And they're like, we are doing, this is an exercise in branding. Totally. This record. Rebranding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did it bum any, anyone else out? Like, again, like, maybe they would write different songs now. Uh, I mean, we haven't gotten to Gaslighter, so we don't know, like, where they're at with all this kind of stuff. It kind of, it kind of bummed me out that they're like, uh just like fuck all my high school friends who never did anything with their lives who are stupid like, and boring and i hate rock them stars the chicks <laughs> like, oh yeah it, it has like cool girl kind of pick me energy yeah you yeah. know like it's like it's like i'm different i'm not like the other right. girls yeah <laughs> not like other girls anyway but what this it's fine it was of a time let's yeah i mean in context yeah, it's I, I feel power. I feel a lot of ways about it because like I don't like 
I feel like you can't really blame someone for like staying in the town they grew up in, especially if they don't have like the privilege or means to move away. Um, but at the same time, like people who the, well, I don't know if it's like, it's hard to say like, which is the causality. If it's like the people who like right. are tending this way, tend to do this or doing this makes them this way. But it does seem like people who stay in a small town and never leave and never travel are typically in very broad, you know, uh, statistical terms, like not the kind of people I tend to get along with or are super, I don't, you know, tend to vibe with. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel or, a lot of ways or, about or, this. Or they're maybe the kind of people who would burn Dixie Chicks <laughs> CDs. Right. That maybe too. Yes. Potentially. Absolutely. Like, I think this is a direct at, at the type of people that that is, but it also is establishing um, a contrast. Like from a songwriting perspective, it's establishing like the title is taking the long way around, right? It's mm -hmm. like about people who yeah. are late blooming. Mm -hmm. Anyone who resonates with being like late blooming didn't peak in high school. So it starts with the people yes. who peaked in high school, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I didn't I didn't date anyone in high school. I definitely <laughs> did not. And I did not marry them. And I don't want kids. Um, so like it, it's relatable, I think, like... To people who didn't peak in high school, which is most people, I think. I think really that first verse is really about those people who are like yeah. super hot and popular and got trapped in it. You know, like mm -hmm. interesting. Which is not most people. I don't think most people marry their yeah. high school, especially these days, especially in the last twenty years. Totally. I I also wonder about like uh, Emily and Marty in particular. Like they seem like they are these kids who kind of just practiced practiced their youths away. <laughs> Probably their, their yeah. young years away, you know, like mm -hmm. didn't didn't uh, Chris Thiele, uh, Marty, <laughs> like win like all these like fiddle championships and stuff as a kid, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, I I feel like I know people in like the trad music world, uh, which is like where they started. Like uh, I <laughs> like I know people who are kind of late bloomers who like because they just like spent their whole childhoods like practicing yeah. their instrument and then they it kind of like took them a while to like get around to figuring out certain other kinds of things and uh i don't know i i think those people are really uh interesting um and i i could maybe have a little bit more room in my heart for people who um aren't uh measuring up to certain kinds of success that they aren't interested in mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so real-time follow-up i put a link to it in the show notes but there is a a page on pinterest uh we'll put a link in there uh that claims uh this is our rv originally owned by the dixie chicks they called it the big pink oh, wow. sneaker because the exterior was painted pink with the name of the band emblazoned across the sides um that's amazing, amazing. and it most was that when natalie was in it though i I would imagine so. If they're name checking the pink RV in this song, I would imagine so. Right. Um, and I don't know if like the entire thing was painted pink at one point, but right now it's mostly white with some like trim that yeah. appears to be like red. Maybe it was pink. And, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't it tell. It looks like some sort of converse. Like a, yeah, mm -hmm. with like pink trim. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. Well, yeah, that's adorable. Cute. Like, what a legend. You're, you know, touring in a van or a pink RV. You know, it's like, you've you paid your dues, man. <laughs> yeah. Taking the, the long <laughs> way around. Like, most, yeah. I think most people can relate to that. 
mm-hmm. right? That it's taken yeah. them a while to to find themselves and their passion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Relatable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, also, these first three tracks, um, as well as a few other ones on it, um, but like these important few tracks in the beginning were all co-written with this guy Dan Wilson. Yeah, who's um, that? Wilson. So, <laughs> Uh, do you remember the song Closing Time? Yes. <laughs> last call for alcohol. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he wrote that with his band Semisonic. I mean, he. I mean, he wrote it. I think. Uh, um, but since that wow, song, he wrote which nobody like you likes, he wrote someone like Whoa. you. I was about to say that. Yeah, you totally. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You stole you it from to, me. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> How dare I was you, just Jim. reacting in real time because I like. No. Yes. Link. That that sorry. is his other like huge credit. Um, someone like you like legendary song um, so he's co-written yeah. with like a lot of people but that's probably his other biggest hit that he's written mm-hmm. yeah. was that and then like three tracks the first three tracks on this record wow. um, and it's just the chicks and him Dan Wilson um, huh. co-writing all that stuff um, so obviously he's a badass obviously yeah. I want to know more because oh. this is what I'd love to be doing although I'd never had an alternative hit in the late 90s <laughs> that is annoying and no one likes <laughs> <laughs> it is annoying and no, and nobody likes it but i also like it in addition to not liking it <laughs> i also love it it's i don't catchy. like it but i love it's it catchy. it's um, catchy i he's worked with some lots of people um including taylor swift several adele songs i wonder if he sort of specializes in this kind of like identity building or like self-reflection songs um because apparently he worked with andrew bird um, mm-hmm. Who I know, you know, have followed for a long time, uh, on the, and was on the song "Are You Serious," which is like very a really interesting, like self exploration about like identity and like commitment to a relationship, and yeah, it's it's a yeah. really interesting song. So I wonder if he sort of like specializes in some of that stuff, or is most is very well, interested in something. A little perspective about that. Um, from someone who's a songwriter here in Nashville um, and and I've written songs with other people for me and I've also written songs with other people for them mm-hmm. and I have found counterintuitively that it is often better to like easier to write about the most personal type of stuff with kind of like a doula there who can like oh, help you uh-huh. help you bring it out and make it not too personal and too precious yeah. right like, right that makes a and lot of sense. And you can just sense. like talk out loud to them and they can sort of like reflect back what they're hearing. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I mean, people are in therapy too, but <laughs> co-writing can definitely be like therapy here. <laughs> um, I'm not in therapy and I should be. And sometimes co-writes end up that way. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> that, that's a really lovely idea. Um, I think, um, I don't know. Sometimes when, when we've talked about artists who have co-writers like we've often wondered like on this show like what is the division of labor there and like who is responsible for what in the songs like like, they 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 trade off words you know (laughs) every other word (laughs) you'll never know there's there's a gentleman's code about it really (laughs) um but but it really is kind of it it is kind of at least the standard in nashville there are different standards for la and new york as well um but in nashville the way people often write songs is still in a room with an instrument. Um, and usually it's an even split. No questions yeah. asked. And there's yeah. no like talking about who did what. Like maybe you uh, wouldn't interview later, but it's kind of considered slightly bad form. You know, it's like uh, it was a collaboration. This song wouldn't have come out this way if we weren't in the room together that right. day. 
doing it, talking about it this way, synthesizing it together. Um, I appreciate so that's that. Overwhelmingly, how it happens, yeah. yeah. But in in LA and New York, there's a lot of more like track and production based songwriting, mm, where you'll right. actually have a division of labor where somebody is the top liner who's going to sing lyrics and melody over a production track, if that mm-hmm. makes right. sense. That's and so that might be more denoted by who the producer is, mm-hmm. you know. That's super interesting. Um, so we've covered one song so far. Yeah, let's... Do you want to just skip <laughs> to Not Ready to Make Nice? Because Easy Silence is... Um, yeah. Doesn't yeah. seem super interesting, at least lyrically. Skip it. Unless... It's like they're trying to... I, I see that song as trying to temper the, like, uh, political nature of this whole record, right? And, like, mm, the drama right. of it all. Because it's like this... It's kind of a love song. It's like, oh, well, there has to be a love song um, so that but they people also, can relate to it. They also talk about getting crucified, though. <laughs> Because they're the Jesus <laughs> right. of country music. <laughs> also, there are monkeys on barricades. So, is yeah. that in that song? <laughs> yes. Maybe let's literally? just yeah. let's just listen to a sound sample real quick, and yeah, because while we're talking about it. I could do without this song. <laughs> yeah, it's more boring, boring. than Not some of its shady. weird lyrics. <laughs> also, is it about Jesus? Is it about God? That's a great question. I, I can see big it. CCM vibes from yeah. this song. Yeah, the sound of it, general, it definitely sounds. Well, that yeah. song especially. It's like, I think it is trying to have some plausible deniability to be like gospel slash romance. Like it's having it both Ooh. ways. Yes. Ooh. That's a great point. Yeah, maybe they're just like testing the waters of like, how many genres are we going to cross over with? And like, what kinds yeah. of radio? Although, <laughs> I, you'd imagine that like the CCM radio stations wouldn't play them just because they were so like oh, yeah. fervently no, no warmongering. Yeah. I think I think people have a hard time getting out of that. I don't necessarily think that's the case for the the chicks necessarily. There's so many other bands that like just wear that on their sleeve where you're like, you came up evangelical <laughs> and your music sounds like it. Yep. Yeah. Um and <laughs> including like Mumford and Sons. Oh my god. Things like that. Yes. Um let's not get Maybe into the it. worst offenders. <laughs> <laughs> um so this doesn't sound like that to me, but it's just for me the it has this plausible deniability of being like maybe gospel, maybe romantic. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. like, I don't know when I, when I saw the title, I, this song was forgettable for me. So I did not remember the song. And, yeah. um, and I haven't listened to this album that deeply for years, you know, like mm-hmm. um, when I saw that title, I was like, Oh, this could be such a great political title. Yeah. Easy silence. Yep. Yeah. The like people not about speaking your detractors. Up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I was, that's the song I wanted. And then I yes. turned it on and I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should just write the song. Easy silence. Do <laughs> differently. it. Yeah. Do a do over. <laughs> Correct. Well, the chicks is mistakes. Sometimes I'll do that. <laughs> I love it. I like to take like titles that didn't do it for me or like <laughs> concepts and like, just try to see if I can like mm-hmm. do it the way that I hear it. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, so how about we move on to Not Ready to Make Nice? Yeah. yeah. I've paid a price And I'll keep paying I'm not ready to make nice I'm not ready to back down I'm still mad as hell And I don't have time to go round and round and round H-E double hockey sticks. 
drop an H bomb. Wow. Oh my god! Like that's, that's not CCM. That's too not CCM. hot for SNL. <laughs> um, oh, this has Can verified commentary by Rick Rubin on it. Oh, hello. On the genius. What is this on? Like lyrics genius? Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Uh, luckily this at a very emotional time for oh go ahead oh Sorry. that's that's the interview quote but if you scroll down to the very bottom uh there is an annotation where he, he i think typed this up into the genius and the first first sentence is so insightful to me he says taking the long way was really fun um oh th- I, this is just I, a copy paste I, I did read this this is a copy paste of the interview yeah. Lol, yeah okay um yeah. i like albums where there's something controversial going on mm-hmm yeah, um, he does mention that um, he says they didn't write much of their previous records. They used songs by songwriters. When we got together to make the album, the premise was they were going to write all the songs. They would work with songwriters to help them make as good as they could be, make them as good as they could be. But the content had to be rooted in their real experience. So that definitely like goes along with the self storytelling and self mythologizing. Um, yes, and this is also a Dan Wilson co write with mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. He was their Dan doula. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. um and i wonder i have no idea if, if rick was the person who brought in dan and was like you gotta work with this guy i have, I have no idea or if they had a previous dabble with him mm-hmm. writing earlier i don't know because he's been like around the scene for sure for sure yeah i don't think i, I don't think i recall his name coming up but that doesn't mean it didn't <laughs> this song is so emotional and awesome and i love how it just like builds and I love how the chorus is very like um, relentless, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like kind of a long yeah. chorus and it keeps yeah. going. And it's like, you know, and it's just like, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm mad as hell, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I like that this song is like, it's like a strength strength through vulnerability yeah. kind of song. Mm-hmm. There's no like invoking any sort of like entitlement or morality. They're just like really fucking mad. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. that's what this song is about and I'm not going to like uh, fold yet like uh, I I just think it's really powerful for that for that reason mm-hmm. yeah um, it's it's really good the bridge has some really fun stuff in it I made my bed and I sleep like a baby with no regrets good and lyric. I don't mind saying it. it is great yeah good lyric <laughs> Um, they make reference to the death threats that they got. Um, it's a sad, sad mm. story when a mother will teach her daughter that she ought to hate a perfect stranger. And how in the world can the words that I said send, send somebody so over the edge that they'd write me a letter saying that I better shut up and sing or my life will be over. Which is also that that phrase goes longer than it should. There's like one more extra line, right? Like it, mm-hmm. yeah. it carries over and it like it, it really like puts a fine point on it that it like dangles over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just think that's interesting. I think it's a really weird song, actually, and it's not like none of these songs are very Nashville songwriting, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which makes sense because that guy Dan Wilson, I think he's like LA based, mm-hmm. or right. definitely was for years. Um, because this chorus in like Nashville style really would put the title at the end again, usually, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It'd be like, you know, um, can't bring myself to do what it is you think I should. Not ready to make nice. You know, it would just like yeah. put a fucking <laughs> totally. a little period on it, right? And it doesn't do that because it's not ready. There's no resolution, which is a little bit of prosody for you, if you will. Like mm-hmm. tone painting here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Does that, totally. Do you guys understand what that means? Uh, so, uh, uh, sorry, I think I missed the very last words. 
Um, yeah, prosody. Anyway, in case anyone doesn't know who's listening, that's like where you're you're using the words to like to um, sh- let <laughs> you're using like the the words and the melody to do what they're they're saying they're doing. If that makes sense. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not I'm not <laughs> explaining that very well. <laughs> So, um, you uh, could also help me out and look it up on the on the <laughs> online, but you basically you talk you talk about in uh, on your TikToks. Um, you, you spent like a little a little season like doing discourse about uh, like I forgot what you called it. It's like a phrase song, or it's like the Nashville uh, formula. Nashville formula, yeah. And it's something like we've I think we've kind of intuitively because we talked about Garth Brooks in our first um, mm-hmm. in our first season and we were just like wow there's a lot of songs that seem to be reverse engineered from a snappy statement yeah and then phrase we often based songwriting judged, <laughs> yeah we often judge Garth Brooks songs on whether uh, they earned the good title that they started with yeah. um, I was wondering if you could like speak on like what is the Nashville formula who is this something that came organically or who's responsible for this uh and what is its function yeah okay so the nashville formula is essentially writing to the title um you've got a title that has good seo essentially it's like this Uh, is a distinctive title yeah mm -hmm. that's what it is yeah because when you're talking about this comes from the publishing industry right where they would just sell sheet music you know so it's like you just got titles you're looking at or when when they're pitching songs to artists they're looking at a list of titles and they're like does that title intrigue me at all so the title's got to be good as far as nashville publishing town right it's just got to have a good title and then the title is almost always going to go either at the top or the bottom of the chorus Mm -hmm. um and oftentimes both places because you get that repetition and the person who's listening to it and passing on the radio knows exactly what the song's called and how to find it. Yep. Right. Yep. That's all it is. It's just like, it's just impressions and branding and it's just really smart. Um, and then like, I have another video where I talk about like level two of the Nashville formula is if you can have that title at the top of the chorus and at the bottom of the chorus, or maybe at the beginning of the song and at the end of the song, it changes meaning somehow. There's like a little clever Mm -hmm. twist to Mm -hmm. it. So I'm sure that, in your years of doing this podcast that you've probably heard some good ones. Totally. But, um, I'm trying to think if there's any uh, examples that come to come to mind. Um, yeah, so some people uh, talked about that song, Waiting on a Woman from Brad Paisley, that's kind of like starts out as this like surface level take of like waiting on your woman to like get dressed and like, well, women take forever to get dressed. <laughs> har har, you know? <laughs> 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 ridiculous take but then by the end of the song it has me crying because it literally mm. talks about like like the the bridge kind of goes to like you know i read somewhere statistics show the man's always the first to go so you know i don't mind oh I'll, my like, god sit on i'll pop up on a bench in heaven and, and sit there waiting on a woman and then you're like <laughs> oh okay <laughs> i thought so i thought uh, waiting on women to die cool i thought that was heading in the direction of they're gonna be single the <laughs> all these old ladies are gonna be single and i'm gonna- oh my god no no no. It's, it's like literally waiting for your you know wife to die in, in old age if you're in heaven and you believe in that <laughs> yeah that's nice um <laughs> yeah um and then another one when i made that video somebody commented the song concrete angel I don't know that um, one. I don't know if you know that. No. I think it's Martina McBride. That song will gut you. It will just 
absolutely tear your heart out. I'm not even kidding. Um, Concrete Angel. You, okay. you won't be able to un unhear how heartbreaking the song is. I'll, I'll put a um, link. Yeah. <laughs> Content warning. Anyway, your heart will just break. Kleenex warning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Um, lots of themes in there too. But uh, you know, I love a country song that like deals with real themes. Like they, it gets less and less so every year that they do. You know, mm. like yeah, I'm always it. hearing like. I don't want to call anyone out in particular because it doesn't behoove me as someone who's trying to make my career. Sure, sure. <laughs> but um, there have been like feminist anthems in years of late that have been just so pale in comparison to like the pill, you know, like songs that really said something spicy and risky um, that was feminist, you know. And then is it the sorry? Is that the name of a song today? That called the yeah pill? the pill by Loretta Lynn. Yeah. Oh. I'm not it's straight up about birth control I in the 70s wondering. like it's yeah. like wow. super awesome that's amazing um yeah and it was really risky and like controversial at the time and then and then you also had um like look at fancy do you all know about the story of the the song fancy by bobby gentry and then reba did it in the 90s it's literally what? a song about a sex worker like it's wow. so good oh. it's so good huh. um and it's so spicy and so risky and yeah. Which is awesome. And like today, I don't think that country music has the stomach for it or Americana. Mm. Honestly, Americana is even worse because <laughs> it's like sometimes like idealizing an era, like a more wholesome era of classic country mm -hmm. that didn't actually exist that way, if that makes sense. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. There's a little like uh, MAGA energy, but yeah. about like your <laughs> genre. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Americana is very blue, very like vote blue no matter who. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but, but the like to that point. Oh, it didn't. It didn't used to be like. I mean, it reminds me of people. Like, it reminds me of like, like cent centrist Democrats being like, America used. We, what have we lost? And it's like, no. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's always been really we, bad. Like, yeah. We don't often have a very good lens to like look back. We just don't do a good job. Yeah. Um. So. I I just think it's it's interesting that we don't say risky things anymore. What were we talking about now? Uh, <laughs> not ready to make nice. Not ready to and, make Oh, and uh, we're talking about the Nashville formula. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Concrete angel going backwards. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the the best thing you can do is have like a twist. And this album does none of that. It right. doesn't use any of those Nashville tricks. It's not trying to be fancy or clever, really. Yeah. It's really like very kind of raw in a way. Um yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, this is a moody album. It yeah. totally is, yeah. Oh, the song is is exemplifies the mood mm -hmm. for yeah. sure. I, I love that they, they literally just say, I'm mad as hell in, in the chorus. Um Like the, what is that movie, the net the network? You're right, yeah. Uh, I'm mad as hell yeah. and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late to make it right. I probably wouldn't if I could. That's that's a really interesting thing to say. Well, one, it constructs it in the, 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 the context of making it right, which I think is an odd right. way to kind of talk about or think about it. But her to just be like, I probably wouldn't if I could. I, I love that. Cause, well, they kind of tried to, didn't you say that uh, Natalie Maines like, made an apology statement that she later rescinded? Yeah, so first she made kind of a walk back or like kind of like, an explainer a little bit and then a few days later when that didn't help at all she like kind of apologized 
Um, and then in the anatomy of an apology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it was uh, like pretty clearly not all that sincere, I think, and I think everybody knew. Um, and then in 2006, she rescinded the apology. She was like, nah, 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 nah. I'm sure it was like contractual at the time, almost, yeah. you know. But Probably, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, the record company was going to like sue her for like <laughs> losing the money, mm-hmm. even though nothing could have helped the situation. It was like a, a culture war panic. Totally, yeah. I don't think there's anything they could have done, honestly. Yeah. Um, but something else that I really like about this brand wise is that um, it feels very much like it's coming from Natalie because she's the one who said the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this feels like really personal. And she she's coming off like a little like there's a whole vibe of her being like kind of this like petty spitfire, you know, like she's yeah. like she's like short. She's like she's got just so much. That's just her energy. She's like this cherry bomb, you know, like <laughs> and I think that this really has that energy. She's like from Texas. Right. So she's just got this whole like pew pew <laughs> thing going on <laughs> that is adorable. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think this is really on brand for her, you know, in a way that's endearing. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Hmm. Um, and pettiness is very country, <laughs> by the way. Is very Nashville country song. So that makes sense. That that's real. Yeah, keep it tradi- um, traditional values. Yeah, <laughs> like it pettiness. Is. Um, do we want to talk about everybody knows? Um, uh, or what's the next song here, we should talk about? He, uh, we've been we've been at this for a while, which is great. I'm having a great time, and I don't have any yeah. time limits. But uh, yeah. I. Don't, <laughs> I don't want to go crazy. Uh, the, the songs I'm most interested in personally talking about are Lubbock or Leave It. Absolutely. Because uh, I think that's like the big, the first like big tonal change in the album. And then I had some like kind of fun music theory, harmony theory stuff that I wanted to mention in Silent House because I thought it was probably the most um, interesting like non, non-country bluegrass like uh, harmony that we've heard from uh from the chicks uh but uh, i don't know if you if y'all have specific things that you want to mention on other songs uh but i definitely don't no, want to talk about 14 songs yeah <laughs> i totally. do not have a lot more um that i've like dove deep into for this so we should we should definitely do that mm-hmm. okay it's cool. up to you nat great um i think there were um i'd be interested in talking about favorite year also in addition to the ones you mentioned Okay, cool. Um, so is Lubbock There's Relieve some good It? Co-writers. Mm? Oh, mm. tease. Some I didn't look at that. Yet. On these. Um, yeah. So is it Lubbock or Leave It next in terms of like track yeah, order? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. Banjos. Banjos. <laughs> this is like rockin'. This one's straight up yeah. like yep. 90s country rockin' vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was co-written by Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers. Oh. Who, very good. Who also, he's done some writing over the years. He he wrote the song Boys of Summer with Don Henley. That's such a good uh, song. That, and I was just listening to a cover covered. of it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Drove deep into that one. That's why the song's so good. Mike Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to guess, too, that maybe he's part of, like, the guitars 
that are happening on this track maybe mm. like it's possible that he was like a big part of like the rock vibe and the riffs of the song maybe i don't know mm-hmm. I, I i have no idea though maybe he's lyrically on it too um, uh yes. this is um yeah this is the first like musically like kind of actively fun fun on purpose songs mm-hmm. uh it, uh, on this on this album uh and this is an angry an angry song and a um this is the like uh like fuck you to the south song yeah that, uh, I, I mentioned earlier there's some really interesting quotes uh from the uh some of the chicks about it on the sidebar there on the genius um but also like one of the things they mention is that natalie mains is apparently from lubbock um yeah, okay. and uh lubbock was one of the last holdout radio stations that wouldn't play them at this point still. Um, I was wondering. Yeah. And of course it's a play on the the title, like love it or leave it. Like, which is something that got shouted at lots of people a lot um, around the time of like the Iraq war. Yeah. Which is very clever and very Nashville. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. (laughs) We love. (laughs) Um, so Emily Robeson said, we'd seen a documentary called The Education of Shelby Knox, which was about a girl. She was 16 at the time, very religious, trying to get Lubbock to teach sex, sex education in the schools. And Lubbock has one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy and STDs in the U.S. So it really showed what happens when you keep this aw- information away from people. Um, oh, my God. Could I love them anymore? Right? <laughs> it's so great. Like, stop. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, yes, we stand a sex education country queen. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, in, I think, two albums ago, they had their song um, Sin Wagon. Yes. Which is just a, it's like a, their song about being in a hoe phase. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, this one's oh my God. similar in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, they don't say how they're getting there. It could be in a sin wagon, but they're saying, I'm on my way to hell's half acre. So, a sin wagon's a great way to get there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think there's a lot here that's like very much not CCM vibes. It's very much like yeah. a fuck you to religion, mm-hmm. um, especially putting skyline. putting the song hell, putting the word hell in anything is just a big right. no, you know? Right. Yeah, it's something that I always forget, but it was like such a big part of my childhood. Is like hell was a bad word because of all the people who literally believed in a, a literal uh, mm-hmm. hell, like a, a torturous afterlife. Um, I remember being a camp, a camp counselor at, at Jesus camp uh, for, and this 10 year old was like scared to death of like, what if I fuck up and like, don't say the Lord's prayer at the right time after I do something bad and I go to hell. And I remember like telling this kid, just like hell's hell's not real. (laughs) I'll get fired if you tell people that I said this, but it's not real. You're going to be fine. (laughs) Like you're 10. (laughs) You have to relax. (laughs) God has bless you, Cameron, for doing that for that kid. I hope they were able to heed that. It's wild that they tell children about the things in like that supposedly happen in hell. Like I, I remember, Um, I've taught a lot of like bluegrass camps um, with kids Mm -hmm. and um, and I would teach songwriting usually and there's like this one little girl who was like she was writing we did like a free write you know of like just writing on a page like nonstop, you know and she like 
shared some pieces of her free write. Like I usually have them like underline or circle some things after the fact that were interesting to them mm-hmm. that maybe they could yeah. make into lyrics. And and she was like talking about like, you know, gnashing teeth and demons and stuff like this and stuff. Aww. And and then I talked to her like afterward and she was actually getting really upset actually when she was sharing this. Like she it kinda like put her in a place where she was like yeah. thinking about that stuff and like scared. Mm-hmm. And I had to like take her aside and talk to her about like, where did, where is this coming from? You know, like, where did you hear about this stuff? And it was totally, she'd been going to like her grandparents' church and it was like this fire and brimstone BS. And she was like seven. Uh Like, yeah, it's raw. Like, why would you do that to kids? Awful. Yep. Went through a lot of that myself too. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Bringing up. (laughs) No, not at all. It's easy for me. I was like raised by wolves in California. <laughs> Definitely did, did not have a lot of that religion, old time religion. Uh, up. Your Bay Area upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had to like realize that this is not how most people have come up. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you're talking to these like uh, two deeply broken NBs <laughs> from our church backgrounds. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, is anything else we should talk about in in this song? I took a sound sample of the intro. It's pretty fun. Yeah, there's a couple references to to Buddy Holly, including a uh, they use the phrase "rave on," uh, which is the title of a Buddy Holly song. Um, uh, they in one of the interviews that uh, Natalie Maines talks about how ironic she thinks it is that there's a like mural of Buddy Holly at the uh, airport. I don't. She I doesn't explain why he died in a plane irony. crash. Oh, maybe that's the irony. Oh, oh yeah, that that is ironic. Oh no, <laughs> that is really funny. I didn't put the pieces together. <laughs> um, that's wow. The day the music died. Um, uh, tasteless. Uh, do we know how her parents, like her her dad's a musician, right? Lloyd Maines, like how they oh, right. reacted to this whole thing? Like, did they oh, turn so on curious. her? Did they support her? Like, was it hard for them in Lubbock? You know, that's such a good question. Oh my god. Let's see. Dixie. Uh, yeah. I don't know how I'd go about searching that. Uh, okay, here's a here's an article from the boot. Um and uh Tell us about uh, it. Vince <laughs> Vince Gill reveals Natalie Maine's dad thanked him for standing up for the Dixie Chicks. Oh great. Oh, okay. Uh, that's the that's name nice. of the title. So it seems like based on the context clues there, it seems like uh he's on on their side maybe not like outspoken or you know maybe right. a little more low-key like can't maybe can't maybe bite he the hand needs to feeds. keep right yeah. yeah keep doing his like uh what what does he do like steel guitar mm-hmm. uh, i think pedal, he's pedal steel, steel stuff yeah. yeah and he's really good too like we've heard some really tasty tasty licks from him on these dixie chicks albums yeah um okay oh yeah right sorry the um intro you wanted to say. here we go That's a very I really dark like sound. That s- single string banjo playing. Dang, 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 dang. <laughs> Is it a banjo tar? Do we think it's a banjo tar? Mm. One of them's a banjo virtuoso on a five string. Um, get Joe, but still, like, because it's Rick Rubin, he's going to be like, no, this one needs the banjo tar. Right. Uh, I actually have I have a 12 string banjo tar sitting in my house right now. Oh my God. Whoa. I was um, wow. I, that's incredible. It's cursed. It's a cursed thing. It's uh, probably 
God, what a what a what a uh, logistically problematic instrument. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a it horror. It's a horror. Um, I inherited it from from a family member who was was kind of a musical instrument hoarder. Um, folk mm-hmm. singer who passed away my uncle sherman and he had a bunch of strange like very cheap instruments it's by dean i think oh um, okay yeah yeah but yeah I, I, we keep it around for some reason it always <laughs> like nobody wants to have it like in their office or like taking up space so it's like sitting in our living room like next to the couch just as like yeah. to remind us of what pure evil is oh my god so like all the it's, problems it's like, like a banjo those... mandolin but more <laughs> This tone, though, of this this lick in the beginning does not sound unlike this instrument. I'm telling you, because okay. there's like doubling with guitar uh-huh. happening. There's, you know, yeah. I'm 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 getting Git Joe vibes. Yeah, maybe. I also think Mike Campbell might be on this track. That's just since he's a co-writer. I'm okay. wondering now. Uh, should we should we talk about Silent House and Favorite Year? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on. All right, let's talk about Silent Everything that you know by heart. And I will try to connect all the pieces you left. I will carry it on and let forget and that sounds like a latter day Al- Alanis Morissette chorus, dude. To me, the the co writer on this, Neil Finn. Neil now, Finn. Who you know he is did. That? I think he's the dude from Crowded House, right? Oh, the, hey he now, is. Hey yeah. now. That's such a good song. Uh, I first heard. But did he, I first became aware of that song from the Sixpence None the Richer uh, cover of it because that was what I was listening to. <laughs> Holy shit! Do you know what else he wrote? He wrote the song of the lonely mountain from the Hobbit. <laughs> oh, amazing! Well, he didn't write the lyrics over. though. The lyrics are are Tolkien. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. Tolkien wrote. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he wrote the the melody. I was just good. For I just him. watched that movie with my uh, partner and seven year old son, and I was just thinking, like, how how what a strange song because it totally works, but it's like it's very obviously like a jig in the in the original but they they squeeze it into four mm. four and it's really awkward but somehow they still mm. make it work. i hate that so much <laughs> it's awkward yeah it uh it should it shouldn't work it's kind of a travesty well um okay i'm trying to see about finn yeah um anyway that's interesting factoid there's some big co-writers on here hey now hey now such uh, a good song mm-hmm there's a battle the, ahead. It's a good melody. This is yes. this is like the this is like a not about the controversy. This is about their uh, grandma dying. Dying. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, grandma had a real good dinner <laughs> by Natalie Maines. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it's about their their nana. Uh, Natalie Maines is uh, nana. That's what they called who had Alzheimer's. So this is like just a very personal sad sweet song about um uh yeah watching someone kind of slowly die and there's kind of like some creepy lyrics in it um i've never heard the idea of like these walls have eyes like that's common like that's a, a trope I thought it was then, the hills rows that have the of eyes. photographs mm-hmm. 
I've never heard those two ideas put together. And it's like, oh, yeah, there is something kind of creepy about walking through a house that's full of photographs and they're all like looking at you. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you should take down the the close up photos of eyeballs from your Nana's house. If if they're creeping you out, you know, (laughs) it's a little much. It's a cool first line, though. It's evocative. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and faces like mine. Yes. It's like another layer of like haunt, like haunting. Yes. And, uh, and then they take it to a pretty abstract place that I, I think works for me. Um, the, we, <laughs> one of the things we often talk about in the show is like specificity versus like abstraction um, and how uh hard it is to pull off like abstract lyrics or um how much better specificity often is but the next lines are who do we become without knowing where we started from um which Mm. i think is i mean it's like a very open-ended question but it's like uh feels pretty poignant in light of uh her grandmother's alzheimer's and like walking around the photographs and their faces like mine and if you read you know you read between the lines i'm like i don't know who these people are um yeah yeah Hmm. Hmm. yeah i think i think it's really actually a poignant too about like i think a lot of our our culture in america is very like not rooted Mm -hmm. you know in ancestors and and yeah i just i think that's interesting i think you could take that that um line and apply it to good old america right Mm -hmm. and natalie's Mm. got some things to say about america and our empire and and um, oh. I think it's political and I think it's deep. Interesting. And it's philosophical lyrics. And I think it's on theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, do you think that was intended by, I can't find any quotes about that saying like, this is also a song about like national identity or like the kinds of attitudes that are plaguing us right now, specifically as a band. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think this song's really open. Like when I read this, uh. like, if I didn't know that this was about her grandmother or something, I could see this as like a memorial to soldiers. Oh, you know, uh-huh. interesting. Like, yeah, I could see this as like resonating with anyone who has lost someone. You know, that's uh, a great point. And that it's true. I'm missing you as I stand alone in your room. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is yeah. something we also end up talking about a lot. Is like how much does the the song succeed on its own terms, and how much does it require the outside knowledge from the interview quotes we find on the genius. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's always the like risk that we run, like when we like, look up what the song is supposed to be about. Right. It's like, do we actually know? Uh, did the song earn that? Um, I really uh, like the chorus. Um, again, in light of knowing that she was thinking about her grandmother, I will try to connect all the pieces you left. I will carry it on and let you forget. Um, and I'll remember the yeah. years when your mind was clear. Like that's an interesting idea, and like like such a compassionate way to respond to someone losing their memory is like, it's okay. You like, you can lay down this burden. Like I'll do the remembering um, so that this isn't all lost. Um, and sort of in that way, kind of carry on your legacy, I guess, or like keep the memories alive. Um, yeah. I think it's pretty kind. Hmm. Yeah. It gets very specific as it goes on, but I do think that first, the whole first verse and pre-chorus and chorus, like, mm-hmm totally leaves it open to interpretation which you like invite people in to map their own experience onto the song Mm -hmm. totally um can we go to the music theory corner yes a little bit uh am i in trouble (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you have to stand in the music theory corner with a dunce cap on your head. <laughs> That's how I feel. Uh, so I think this song has like a a pretty fun chord progression that they haven't they haven't really dabbled in this kind of chord progression before uh, because they've been so country and bluegrass and when they've been using non-diatonic chords before in harmonies they do it in a very bluegrass way in in the past and this feels not that way uh so do you want to play that sound sample that i took nat Mm -hmm. and then uh we'll kind of chew on that oh my god you got the chords in the title the sound sample here we go baby Yeah. <laughs> so this song's Modal. in this song's in C, uh, and it uses uh, what some people call borrowed chords a lot, which is where um, you have the diatonic chords. You know the seven chord choices that are based on the different notes of the scale that you got. Uh, so in C major, there's seven chords, but then you can also borrow the chords from C minor. Um, so you have seven different chords that you have access to. Uh, and this song kind of really fluidly goes back and forth between um, C major chords and C minor chords. And I think a moment that's really special is that it, um, it has this uh, E flat major chord, which is uh, a major chord, but it's using a chord from C mi- the key of C minor. And it has this E flat, which is like the minor, the most minor note of C minor. And then it goes down to a D uh, uh, minor seven add nine chord. And the nine is an E natural. So there's this really interesting moment where it resolves to back to the major tonality um, as an extension of the chord. So I'll play that over here on the uh, piano and just sort of yell over because I'm near the piano. <laughs> here I go. Uh, so it goes, if I remember right, uh, it does that, you know, C major, B flat, F, and then it goes C major, and then E flat, F, and then it goes to C minor. And then it goes to F major. And then here's where it gets weird. Um, Here's that E flat major chord. And then it resolves to here. Uh, And that resolution isn't in any of the instruments. Uh, It's in the harmony, uh, which I think is like Mm. really, really rich. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it goes and, but as an E flat major chord to a D. Uh, minor 7 add 9 so um, let's listen to the sound sample again mm-hmm. and uh, just listen to the very end of the phrase okay uh, and that's where that resolution happens to single bed in the closet hangs yep. your favorite dress I just think that's so interesting. Uh, and it's, it's lovely to hear the Dixie Chicks um, 
get to do some rich harmony again because especially in their first couple albums when they weren't doing just bluegrassy stuff they were doing this like swingy like three-part harmony um mr sandman style kind of thing and it's neat to hear them get back into rich harmony again so i don't know i just i really enjoyed that and i i also really like that they're they're trying to have this sweet sad song that is also kind of spooky and unnerving because alzheimer's yes is spooky and unnerving the way that that uh that people sort of unravel and um Mm -hmm. i i like that this song is i just has a lot of um tonally it's balancing a lot of different tones and and emotions in its harmony so um i thought it was so interesting cameron that you think that this is like not country feeling because to me this feels much more um sort of described by like banjo modal kind of sound generally this like major minor having it both ways and it feels very mountainy if you will and that like mountainy element that people bring into country music like so to right. me, I would analyze it in that way, but I think Neil Finn is coming in there and bringing right. some like Western harmony sensibility to it. And like, oh, he's like, well, what if we ended on this particular chord and like have the more major feeling and the more minor feeling on this half, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like all of those uh, unsettled harmony moments are so precedented in actual folk music. And I feel like a lot of those edges get rounded off when that is turned into pop country music. And and it's, it's kind of funny that it's like a coming full circle. That that's a great, that's a great point. I think that's what happened here. Like, that's what I hear happening is like, probably there was some cool banjo riff that Emily played, you know, like that was like very modal Mm -hmm. and Neil Finn's like, I don't know what to do with that. Let's analyze it with Western harmony and make it this thing, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, that's just my sense of it. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, quick, uh, quick little discussion of favorite year, maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I forgot if co-written there were more than by. I think the only female co-writer. On oh, the whole I just oh, saw oh it God. on the Genius Cheryl Crow, uh, none other. Cheryl herself. Yeah, here we go. There's a couple interesting things going on with this song. One is that this predates the incident. This was, uh, they were writing it with Cheryl Crow in, uh, when they were recording home from 2002, their previous record. Um, they liked Cheryl Crow a lot. We felt an instant connection to Cheryl. Natalie says she's very real and funny, easy to talk and open about herself. Um, but, uh, Marty McGuire has a really interesting quote about it. I had an idea for a song where the person knows in their heart that a relationship wasn't right, but still wants the other person to look back on it as the best time in their life. I think I was wished that's how my ex-husband looked back on our five years together, but I know that's not the case. But hey, you can make it true in a yeah. song, right? Uh, that's such an interesting Dan Savage idea. Call it a successful short-term relationship? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually totally wrote a bridge of a song recently that says... 
that literally just quotes Dan Savage. Yeah. So, uh, just, it goes, just because we both got out alive doesn't mean it wasn't worth our time. Mm. That's the bridge. <laughs> I love that. That's a great line. It is a song about polyamory, though. So. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 um, the, cor- the lyrics are trying to do something, like, pretty difficult because they're, they're trying to talk about the, like, mythologized, like, figure of the young person. We were young and so inspired. We weren't the only ones who thought we changed the world. No sun would set without us. No one we knew could ever doubt us. We had our future figured out. We knew a love like ours would always save the day and that we'd always be okay. And there's a lot of, you know, songs written from that perspective, but it's very, like, um, it's very much, like, commentary on this, like, stock figure, basically. Um I think it makes sense that they wrote this before. Yes. Because it's almost talking about, in the context of this album, it appears to be talking about their, like, more um, rose-colored glasses days before they got jaded and knocked down by the industry, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how I interpret it in the context of the story of the record. Totally, yeah. Their naivete, their innocence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, In verse three, even, they say, holding on to the memories of when we were younger, I can't forget... Because when we were together, that's when I was at my best. Um, so it's very like wistful. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting to speak about, like the the thought process behind like releasing it on this album, like post incident, and like how it fits into the narrative is a really interesting choice. I think. Um, I would never have known they wrote this before. That's really cool to know. Yeah. It, it uh, is a kind of a relic of a time before when they were more innocent and they did, they didn't know mm-hmm. what they didn't know. Yeah. I've had that happen before. <laughs> like mm-hmm. songs on, on something that were like <laughs> from a time before and you're like, oh wow. Yeah, like Front Country put out this song called The Reckoning on our, our record that we put out in 2020, but we recorded it two years before. Um, and literally the the lyric in the song recorded in 2018 is um sometimes the sickness is a gift so we can make the medicine and be ready for the reckoning oh wow and, and it was like sickness and then i was like oh man should we even put this out during a pandemic right, right. like it was like it suddenly was like very on the nose mm-hmm. yeah in like not a good way <laughs> <laughs> what a what a what a pickle mm, delicious um, I also, I'm just like really curious about this idea of like wanting someone to look back on their relationship as the best time in their life. Like I'm trying to figure yeah. out like, is that just like weird and selfish or like, I'm not quite sure how to feel about that. I think, I think this song is kind of a little pablamy for me. It's like, it's very vague, very generalized, very, yeah i don't know mm-hmm. i think it is from a time before when like that would fly you know mm, and like totally. everything else in comparison to everything else on the record that's so specific so personal mm-hmm. you know like this feels like filler in a way and yeah. the, the album is over an hour so yeah editing maybe wasn't what happened just putting <laughs> that out there tracks. i'm just being yeah. like a hater for a second <laughs> like i think this is a wonderful album but an hour and six minutes is a lot that's a double album you know you can't fit that on one lp so like that's a choice to mm-hmm. not edit. Who am I to say it's a huge record? Like we also haven't talked about that, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's really about big. how people expected them to fail, and it was their biggest thing yet. Like so, the whole culture war panic mm-hmm. about this, about them being canceled, wasn't real at all because cancellation isn't real. <laughs> often, mm-hmm. right? 
like right. it's just a made up yeah. narrative like and if I think if you talk to most normal people on the street about how this went down for the Dixie Chicks oh yeah they said that thing and they got cancelled I don't think most people would remember the part that they actually came back stronger than ever right and that it actually didn't matter in the long run and that was just like a really loud vocal minority mm-hmm who was trying to cancel them and didn't succeed. Totally. This was That's a, always the difference between mate, like material consequences and perception. Right. There's always a huge rift when we're talking about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Like what is actually happening though? Is this person actually losing access mm-hmm. or are they actually being punished or are they doing better than ever? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Morgan Wallen. He's so yeah. canceled. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah, yeah. just in terms uh, of like, sales yeah. numbers, though, like the other albums have like had more years to accumulate sales, also, and were released at a time when, like, 2006, I think, is several years into like the digital music revolution. So who knows if those were counted, if like iTunes sales were right. counted by that point right. or whatever. But at least according to the RIAA, this went two times platinum from the Wikipedia page. Um, the previous album, Home, went six times platinum. Uh, and then wide open spaces went 13 times platinum. Uh, so, well, I, yeah, I think that they hadn't updated the, the parameters yet too. Mm, it, mm-hmm. They only recently updated and put streaming into mm-hmm. the numbers for platinum and stuff like wow. pretty recently. Oh, okay. so it's like, yeah. it's been kind of a awkward transition, Yeah, but it debuted at number one on billboard, which is when it came enormous. out. Enormous. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would say it was a huge success. Um, totally. And a testament to the fact that, like, it's just this vocal minority that that is actually conservative like that yeah. in this country, you know? Right. And I, I, well, I mean, we talked about this a bit, but, like, I really wonder also, like, them, like, being less country and seeming to, like, court more, like, mainstream or crossover or pop or rock radio, if, like, that also, like, I mean, I'm sure it was, like, at least somewhat a conscious decision. I'm curious, like, how much they had been wanting to do that anyway. Like, you know, their their tendencies or, like, what they wanted to experiment with. Um, but, yeah, I think that, that probably also, like, has a big impact. Like, they probably gained a bunch of new listeners or fans, I would imagine, um, just from trying to operate in a different space, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they did. Um, uh, I bet that they had wanted to do that for a long time. Natalie is a very pop voice, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She doesn't really fit in country squarely, and their songwriting has never really fit in country squarely. Um, and their messaging, too. They've always had, like, pretty, like, feminist or, like, pop feminist mm-hmm. ideas in their music. So, um, but I think that you can feel really paralyzed and trapped, and, like, you actually don't get to do that. And so it's kind of a gift when something shakes up your world, you know? Not unlike how that happened for some people with the pandemic shutting down music it made them like think of other musical possibilities and projects mm-hmm. yeah totally i'm sure that they see it as a gift now you know yeah <laughs> um it the, another interesting thing sorry I, I know we're like going really long and i shouldn't bring up yet one more it's thing it's all good yeah. don't <laughs> yeah don't don't feel <laughs> we gotta dig into it yeah. we gotta like we still hadn't gotten into the meat of like how this record did you know and mm-hmm. like and this like comeback the comeback kid like everybody loves a comeback kid yeah, yeah. um you know the other thing that's like 
really interesting to me about that whole dynamic too because it is this huge comeback it's a massive album uh they go on hiatus um after uh let's see after the release of the the documentary shut up and sing um wow oh my god in uh, sorry i just saw this little line from wikipedia that i want to call it an ad for shut up and sing was turned down by nbc on october 27th 2006 citing a policy barring ads dealing with quote public controversy <sighs> cool policy you got there <laughs> wow awesome um also the film's distributor was harvey weinstein oh no um oh no, oh, no. Harvey. wait you can't win uh, he had his paws and everything yeah he did um, um but yeah they yeah, went on hiatus i did not know Sorry. i didn't know that they went on hiatus that's a smart business move sometimes though oh like, just telling telling your story putting mm-hmm. out a big documentary and then like you know create scarcity (laughs) (laughs) and they they came back and they've been touring a lot like the last several years and they've been doing great i have a couple friends who have opened for them a lot on tour and Mm -hmm. it's been great great for them they're playing like huge venues like arenas wow that's awesome Mm -hmm. um yeah looks like i was wrong about there not being one more female co-writer on this record oh Oh, voice inside my head was co-written with linda perry do you know who oh. Linda Perry is? No. 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 And I said, hey, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Yeah. From Four Non Blondes. And she, yeah. she's gone on to, um, she's been on a judge on some reality shows. Like, I don't think it's Idol, but like some songwriting one. And, uh, and she has produced a lot of records. She's actually one of the most prolific female pop producers right now. Uh, Linda I, Perry. I, I did she wears like that. a really cool hat. You should check it out. Is it a leather top hat? Like in the in the um, what's going on music video? Kind of like a Pharrell hat. It's like a weird kind of like a hipster ten gallon felt thing or something. I don't know. I'm not good with hats. I don't understand how to explain that. I love that. It's very tall. It's strange. Mm-hmm. It's like, is she gonna like look in there and see the Book of Mormon or something? I don't know. <laughs> Amazing. Um have you ever seen Sense8? But total, total tangent. Um, um yes but not for a long time okay uh, one of my favorite shows i love the wachowskis and the way they use that song specifically what's going on or not it's called what's up uh in that show is so great i love it it's very not nashville formula of them yeah <laughs> the title is not <laughs> yeah well it's also based in what san francisco say. yeah it's based okay. in san francisco and linda perry wrote that song when she was like in san francisco it's like young punk you know it's pretty cool yeah. mm-hmm Awesome. Um, so that's neat. <laughs> oh, there's like actually more credits on this Wikipedia than I had seen on the Spotify too. Yeah. Like, like Pete, Pete Yorn mm-hmm. is on something. And apparently Keb Mo. Uh, um, yeah. And Keb Mo is on the last track. Yeah. Oh, that's the song that's like gospel And it was like a benefit. They released that first and it was a benefit for Hurricane Katrina relief. Oh, that's cool. Apparently. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. they released it like ahead of the whole album, so I think it kind of mm-hmm. ended up getting packaged with the album, but I think it's a little different. Ooh. The runtime on this thing is huge, y'all. Yeah. It's a, it's a long album. The song also features a guitar solo from John Mayer. Hey, oh my God. our <laughs> old pal. Yeah. We have covered John Mayer on this show, all of his <laughs> albums. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers plays drums on this album. What? Bonnie Amazing. Raitt does background vocals. Can you even imagine having Amazing. Bonnie Raitt do background? Wow. <laughs> uh, what yeah. song? 
Um, it's not specific. No, it just it. yeah, it just credits on the in the under the personnel section. I wish I knew. But it's it's really interesting how a producer can not only be bringing together sounds, but like associations. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. people that you want in the mix. Like you're creating a community around a record, right? Mm-hmm. Of people and associations yeah. and like clout and. It's interesting, like, you know, that's what Bonnie's there for. You don't hire yeah. Bonnie as BGVs for no reason. Right. It's like right. also to have Bonnie Raitt be associated with the record, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so cool. Uh, can just call up whoever the hell he wants. Yeah, right. I'm sure he can. <laughs> he he should have brought a bunch of Slayer to play on this record. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, where I we've seen him the most. Slayer he did. He did that's right. almost all of their albums. Yeah. So much. Are we I didn't know covered that. covered Slayer on this show also. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Was one of his ones from the eighties. Great record from Public Enemy. <clears throat> well, should should we uh, should we wrap up and maybe before we do our our normal um, like uh, scripted wrap up things, Melody, where do people go to stay up to date on everything that you're doing and get your music and whatever else you want to mention? I mean, follow my Instagram, please. For the love of God, my numbers are so low on there. <laughs> I'm not okay. good at Instagram. Uh, I have way more followers on TikTok if you want to check out songwriting stuff. I'm very compartmentalized, though. Like, my Instagram is where mostly my music and, like, honestly, it's just my personal Instagram, too. This is not how you do this correctly, but <laughs> it's what it is. Um, <laughs> but my TikTok is, like, I provide value to the TikTok community through songwriting. Well, questionably through songwriting tips and stuff and the hot takes are probably not that valuable but there's hot takes too um and yeah i'm i'm not very active on twitter but you can find me there if that's your thing baby okay awesome uh melodious melodious walker is generally my handle good handle (laughs) uh thanks so much for taking time to do this and hang out with us and uh yeah it was yeah thank you so fun it's been so lovely having you it's great <laughs> yeah it's so great to to meet you nat and like <laughs> thanks for having me all this was really really fun awesome okay so here's that scripted outro that ken was referring to uh thanks for listening everyone we'll be back next week with um is it gaslighter oh wow gaslighter's next that's the last that's the last one, one from this 2020 ultimate episode wow i didn't realize that the yeah hiatus. there was a 14 year uh, hiatus between the releases really so, yeah yeah um, and we'll be covering that album in 14 years yes we're gonna take a <laughs> we're also taking it same hiatus we do that for all the artists <laughs> yeah do a real time <laughs> just adds to the authenticity um so, so <laughs> So until that time that we talk about that album, 14 years hence, you can visit us at online at boxset.website, tweet us at, to, uh, sorry, email us at email at boxset.website. Um, I got I got the dot website domain name because it was really amusing to me. Um, and you can tweet us at Topia's Podcast. You can support the show in a number of different ways, including writing reviews on various platforms like iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now, or I don't know if Spotify really... Uh, supports that or whatever you can support the show by also sharing the the good news about the show um and if you want to support us very directly which is very great you can go to our patreon at support.boxset.website kick us a few bucks you'll get access to all of our bonus materials including a weekly mini show called what's in the box weekly this week 
Melody was kind enough to join us also. And we talked, it was a, it was a maxi mini, mini sode. Um, Cam talked about the deer King, I think it was called. It's a, the it's deer a, King. it's a much belated sequel to the deer hunter from the movie from the seventies about, um, most <laughs> it seems to be mostly about playing Russian roulette. I think is the main <laughs> subject matter of it. <laughs> And uh, I there all- need to be more high fantasy anime sequels to uh, <laughs> 70s dramas. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Ma- all- Melody talked yeah. about uh, Alone, uh, the uh, uh, reality TV show, and we discussed whether or not that is trash. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Nathan talked about Save Yourselves. Save Yourselves, the movie, yes, with exclamation mark. Um, the other thing you should do, well, two more things you should do. Join the Discord. The link will be in the show notes. Um, it's pretty low traffic, but very high quality. Um, and you should listen to Cameron's other podcast. It's called Get Up in the Cool. Just do it already. It's great. Oh, I wish you would. They're always just dabbling Wouldn't in that, that traditional music. <laughs> <laughs> just dabbling away. Dabbling away. Every day I'm dabbling, <laughs> says Cameron. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right. Yeah. Uh, also, real quick, uh, Tall Poppy String Band is going oh, on tour yeah. in Colorado. So check our social media, and if you're in Colorado, come see us. Is the album released by now, or when this comes oh, out? Albums, albums releasing today. Woo! Uh, Wait, today, which day is, of release, or today? No, 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 no. Uh, record. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> it's the day my, this episode is being released. I see. By the time you hear this, yeah. you can yeah. and should and will. Go buy Tall Poppy String Band. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So until that time, I've been Nat Hunt. (laughs) I've been Cameron DeWitt. (laughs) Am I supposed to say anything? (laughs) We usually just sign off, but I don't know. Yeah, okay. Whatever. (laughs) Thanks, Melody. Thank you. (laughs) I'm still Melody Walker. Thank you. I'm also very non-specific because I just toss it out there and it's like either one of you we usually do some sort of callback and then I think Nat was gracious enough to like not do a callback because we we normally do one and then if we have a guest on they're like oh shit I don't don't remember anything I was right I I didn't do a good job at either I was like I'm Cameron DeWitt and I have beef with Reba McIntyre I don't know yeah (laughs)